Welcome to Singing Teachers Talk, the podcast that brings you great interviews, insightful discussions and advice around the topic of singing and teaching singing. Now it's over to your host for today's episode. It's me, Alexa Terry. Duncan Rock, a very warm, well, I should probably say very sweaty, sticky welcome back to the singing teachers talk podcast because we're in a bit of a heat wave in the uk right now which is not ideal we are we are you can't smell me from there can you through through the internet i'm getting something but <laughs> I, I just have a, i have just had a cold shower but it's so needed it's it's hideous i'm not a fan you don't like the heat no nope, not at all i am an autumn winter person which i know makes me a bit of a weirdo but no the heat isn't for me Okay. For, for me, you know, I, obviously I grew up in Perth in West Australia. So yes, I feel that it's warm. I know this isn't, you know, this isn't top tier heat. Um, no, I like, you know, I live, I live in the South Coast and it, it's a wonderful place to live year round, but it really comes alive in the summer. Uh, mm. I, I love it. Um, so no, for me, you know, bring it on. I just need lots of sunscreen because of my uh, sort of uh, translucent and pink skin tone. I'm with you. I'm either lobster or I'm like pale white. My my tan is usually white to ivory. <laughs> it doesn't do anything else. Nice. That's that sounds like a, a pharaoh and ball sort of color scheme. Yeah, it's it's very beige. <laughs> <laughs> we last spoke for our one hundredth episode on the topic of singing and dairy, and since then you have been a very busy person and doing some very exciting things, haven't you? I have just got back from France. I was uh, at the Théâtre du Capitole in Toulouse doing uh, a new production of the Britain opera, The Rape of Lucretia, which is a real staple. It has been a real staple in my singing career. I've actually done the opera six times, which may be a record. I, I don't know any, I, I may have done this opera more than anyone else in the world, um, which is cool, which is, you know, I guess my, my little mark on the Britain uh, opera landscape, uh, but it was great. And um, just got back and I've started some new full-time work uh, in, in my role as a physiotherapist um, at a place called the Sussex Back Pain Clinic, which is, um, uh, we sort of do all non-surgical management of, of spinal pathologies and, and back pain. So it's, it's been really cool, really exciting to start that. And I'm looking forward to talking about that a little bit later because we're here today to talk about exercise and its relationship with singing. So my first question to you is, are you a sports fan? And do you have fond memories of being involved with sports and exercise at school? Yeah, uh, yes, I, I'm a, a sports fan, but a weird sports fan it's a, a bit of a something I wish I, it was slightly different about myself I wish I could bond with people over you know here in the UK over football and rugby and cricket but you know I've tried to get into rugby in the past but I just it just never quite stuck with me that the sports I love um I love uh NBA basketball um just because look I'm I'm 38 and I grew up right in the thick of the Michael Jordan phenomenon when I was a kid. So I just became really interested. And I played basketball uh, throughout my high school years, quite competitively, quite at quite a high level. Uh, and the other sport I love is mixed martial arts, uh, like UFC, which I realize comes with a certain stigma because yes, to a untrained eye, it does look like two people just beating each other up in the middle of a cage, which I guess it is that. But I I um I do I jujitsu myself and a little bit of mixed martial arts myself. So um, when you actually get involved in it, you start to see the subtleties and, and the nuances of the sport. So I've got quite into that too. I don't have fond memories of PE at school. The only memory I, that sticks for me is a sports day when we all had to sign up for something, but I was not the sports person. I, I did like a bit of high jump um, because I'm, I've got long legs. So that was, you know, helpful. But this year, no, they put me in for shot put. <laughs> okay, you don't instantly strike as a natural shot putter. I'm not a shot putter. I mean, I've got the longest arms known to man. I must be like a direct descendant of Mr. Tickle or something, but they are twigs. They are twig-like things. <laughs> I mean, it goes without saying I didn't win, <laughs> but it was... You try your best. That's the important thing. You know what? I'm not sure I did. <laughs> I was just like, this isn't going to work out. So 
for for sport myself, I have a, a weird relationship with it because I love competing and I, I love exercising. I know that to some people that sounds really strange, but uh, to some people will completely empathize with that. I have, I have this weird sort of contradiction in that I do have, I've always had quite a sort of large, strong body, you know, as I was always like the big kid in school, even now, you know, when I, you know, when I compete in jujitsu, I'm always like one of the strong guys, you know, I'm, I'm tall, I'm kind of broad, but I'm quite mal-coordinated. Right. I'm quite gumpy, actually. It's always been the case. So there's a sort of like contradiction of like this relatively use, it's like having a, a kind of a, a quite a, a handy sports car, but someone completely inept at driving it, if that makes sense. So I've always, you know, I've never been great at sports. I certainly never had any dreams of being a a professional athlete or anything like that but enjoyed it i've always enjoyed it so when it comes to exercise like in my thinking depending on our own individuality our physiology our goals and preferences we might gravitate towards specific types of exercise whether that might be cardiovascular or endurance or strength whatever that might be but firstly why might a singer as both a performer and a human individual benefit from engaging in exercise Sure. It's such a great question. I mean, look, the, the, the overarching reason is, of course, because singers are people too, and they benefit from all of the human benefits of, of engaging exercise. And, you know, I was talking about this yesterday uh, at the clinic with my with my colleagues. Um, you know, it, there, I remember an article, I think it was from the New York Times 10 years ago or so, and it, it, it was framed like, you know, if you could take a drug that decrease your chance of cardiovascular disease by 82%. I'm making these numbers up, but they're in the ballpark. If it increased your um, your chances of de- decreased your de- your chances of dementia by 42%, decrease your chances of diabetes by 70%, sure, would you take that drug? And of course, of course you would. It, it almost sounds too good to be true. But of course, that drug is exercise. Exercise increases your cardio- cardiovascular health, it increases your metabolic health, increases your neurological health, your musculoskeletal health, your digestive health, your mental health, really, really overlooked um, value of regular exercise. Um, it, you know, it, it basically decreases your risk of what we would refer to in medicine as all-cause mortality, dying of any cause. Um, so it really is one of the best things one can do on a daily or several times a week basis to increase both your health span and lifespan. So your lifespan being the number of years you live and the health span, the quality of those years, how healthy you are and for what proportion of your lifespan. My The issue I encounter is in, I guess, culture, in, in the way we often talk about exercise. People immediately think about the aesthetics, weight loss. I, I'm, oh, I need to lose some weight. I better exercise. Or I want to, you know, young guys, I want to get jacked. I better exercise. Now, look, these things are fine. And of course, exercise can help you achieve those things. But the the other benefits that I just listed are, are by far and above the, the real reasons um, one should engage in exercise. And of course, so singers are people too. So essentially, if you want to live a long life and you want those, the quality of those years to be high in terms of your health, exercise is one of, some would say, the best thing you can do to, to achieve that. I mean, it, it, for me, that that should be enough. Uh, to to encourage people, but there are singer-specific benefits to exercise. Obviously, I mean, it depends what type of performer you are, what type of, of shows you do, but being strong and having good cardiovascular health can be valuable on stage if you're doing anything that is physiologically demanding while you're also, you know, creating your art, being a performer. Uh, the example I often give for myself is one role I've sung a lot in my career is the role of Don Giovanni, Mozart's Don Giovanni. And the very first scene of the opera, you you sort of get caught with one of the ladies and her dad catches you and then you have a sort of fight. If it's a traditional production, normally it's like a sword fight. If it's a more modern production, maybe you just beat each other up, whatever. But some sort of physical interaction, which is quite vigorous and quite long and, you know, with, with some heavy singing. And then suddenly there is this change after you kill the father to this very, very quiet, slow pianissimo singing. And if you're out of shape and out of breath from doing that first scene, you know, the sword fight or whatever it is, being able to sing that pianissimo music, it doesn't matter how good your technique is. If you're out of breath and you're, you're up here and you're panting, you won't be able to do it. It's just impossible. In that sort of scenario, I know that's a very 
specific example to that opera. But of course, there are many examples we can think of where that would be appropriate. So that's one benefit. The second is just somewhat related to that, but just functional task abilities. If you train well in, it's an overused term, unfortunately, in fitness culture now, but if you train what I would describe as a functional way, you know, full range of motion, big exercises, actually becoming systemically stronger, systemically more fit, you just get better at doing things in life. You get better at carrying the shopping bags. You get you know, for me, we were just talking about, you know, I get much better at carrying my daughter around Disneyland when she's tired, you know, that just that sort of thing, walking up the stairs, functional task abilities improve dramatically with exercise dramatically. It's one thing in my anecdotal experience, people people mention it with with quite surprise when they start exercising, they go, oh, I I didn't realize how easy it could be to walk up the stairs at work. And then they start exercising a bit and suddenly it feels like nothing, which is wonderful. It's a wonderful power you give yourself. The the other one that I often relate to people is the healing of tissues. So exercising, for some people somewhat counterintuitively, actually increase, uh, sorry, decreases the time it takes for your body tissues to recover from strenuous work. So you you can sort of do more again, you know, the next day, you, it, it because obviously your, your blood flow tends to improve, your metabolic health improves. So cellular healing improves the fitter you are. We now specifically know uh, from some relatively recent research that this also relates to the vocal tissues. So people who have high cardiovascular health as measured by VO2 max, their vocal tissues recover more quickly. So if you're a musical theater performer doing eight shows a week, high cardiovascular health is going to be one of the key factors to keeping you going for longer and stopping that vocal fatigue from setting in. Um, Of course, alongside good technique and hydration and avoiding smoking and all those things you do, but good, just systemic cardiovascular fitness will help in that regard. So those are the reasons. I hope I've convinced some people that it might be a good idea. What is generally important for singers to consider then when they're making their choice of what exercise to engage with? There are quite a few considerations and it it can get, um, it can be valuable in this regard to get some specific work done. Like with someone like myself or a trainer who really knows what they're doing. I I have one colleague of mine who's wonderful, Claudia Hodgson Rodriguez. She was a stage manager. She studied, we studied together at the Guildhall, but she's also a professional like bodybuilder, sort of bikini model and personal trainer. And she works now specifically with performing artists. So she really knows what she's doing. Simply put, performers should be mindful of what I would call like the three pillars of fitness, which is, of course, strength, mobility, and then, of course, cardiovascular endurance, cardiovascular fitness. Um, I would caution singers from becoming too specific in their exercises. So singers who only do yoga or only run or only lift weights, because, you know, if you only do if you only train your body to do one activity, you'll get this sort of hyper adapt high over the years, you'll get sort of hyper adaptation to that activity, often to the ex- to the detriment of the other capacities. So if somebody only does yoga, great, they might become very flexible, but it might be at the, the expense of their cardiovascular fitness or their actual strength, their joints might become so mobile, they actually become weaker, right? Likewise, if someone only focuses on strength, they might get really, really big and strong, big, you know, hypertrophy, a big growth in their muscles. But at the expense, we see this all the time in gyms, at the expense of mobility of the joints, or perhaps perhaps they don't tra- train their cardiovascular system at all. And then, of course, if someone just does cardio, that's great. But just cardiovascular fitness, in the absence of any sort of strength training, you're only sort of attacking one piece of the puzzle, and you're missing out on a whole plethora of benefits. So The first thing I would get singers to consider is address each of those modalities, each of those sort of pillars in at least some way. You don't have to become an expert yogi and a professional powerlifter and run marathons, but think of all three pieces of that puzzle. But of course, the the main thing is it has to be sustainable. One experience that a lot of people relate to is they pick a goal, which is good. I'm going to run a half marathon. I'm going to do couch to 5K, I'm, whatever it is. I'm going to climb Mount, you know, mountain X. And then they do it and that's it. Then, they, then that's it. They've lost the motivation. They stop. You know, oh, yeah, I, so, many, so many people came to me. Oh, you know, I, I ran half a marathon five years ago, which is really impressive. But training to run half a marathon once, maybe it takes you six months, maybe it takes you a year. It's going to give you some benefit. But in the, in the, over the course of a lifetime, this, it's a blip. It doesn't really mean much. 
the program has to be sustainable. So I guess for a lot of people, it's this balance between something that you're going to, you enjoy enough that you're going to just keep coming back to it. Enjoy the process of it. But it also has to be considered because your body is important. You don't want to start developing. Now, I, I need to be cautious when I say this because in my opinion, with respect to all the wonderful singing teachers out there, this is something a lot of singing, singing teachers misunderstand and get wrong. They talk about you can't lift weights because it's going to, I don't know, ruin your voice. I, I don't know. You can't watch out. Don't, you can't have a six pack. People, singers for some reason get obsessed with six packs. Performing artists, singers do need to be mindful of not developing muscular imbalances that may lead to excessive tension and high threshold strategy, uh, high threshold strategies, which just means sort of the overworking of muscles unnecessarily in the body, because that may over time start to impact the vocal mechanism. Mm. Can we talk about some of these specific exercises then so you mentioned the abs there and it is one that does come up quite a lot so when i think about musical theater there are there are many roles really where somebody might be in costume which is either skimpy or barely there uh just thinking about kurt and ram from heathers they're in like little budgie smugglers wow. and um, yeah. people in mamma mia they're on a beach mostly so they're in trunks or bikinis or swimming costumes and they might choose to train their body in a particular way or want a physical six-pack so is it allowed is it okay and how do we best train it if that's our goal where it isn't going to be detrimental to us your vocal mechanism yeah it's a great question and with some nuance is it allowed yes what we're about to talk about there's an over there's a sort of bigger issue or perhaps a, a, a separate issue about body pressures uh, on performers body image pressures and stuff which I think is a valuable conversation to have to be honest it's not really my ex area of expertise I'm not, I'm not a psychologist I you know I hear those arguments, but that's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about someone who's like, do you know what? I'm in Mamma Mia. I'd like to look a certain way. That's my choice. It's not coming from a bad place. It's just, I just, you know, I want to get in better shape. Absolutely fine. Absolutely allowed. The visibility of the six pack, the rectus abdominis muscle is purely a function of the level of adipose tissue in the midsection. So people who you can't like see their abs, it doesn't mean they don't have abs. Of course, it's just covered by, by adipose tissue, by body fat. We've all seen, you know, I have children, so, you know, I go to the park and stuff. We've all seen kids, you know, little kids who have six packs because they just have low body fat. So their muscles just sort of show under the skin. So the offshoot of that, which is really important for singers to understand, is there is no relationship between the visibility of the six pack and its rigidity or flexibility. So if you can see someone's abs, it gives you no indication of if, if they're rigid or flexible in the same way that if you can't see someone's abs, you have it gives you no indication of, of if they're rigid or, or inflexible. And I think in my experience, a lot of singers, particularly singing teachers think, oh, if you can see the abs, it means they're tight. It's absolutely not true. Not true at all. And in fact, there is some suggestion, it, you know, I wouldn't worry about it, but, you know, just just to sort of finally, you know, put a put an exclamation mark on the point. People who have higher levels of adipose tissue around their midsection, you know, around the belly, are more likely to have a rigid and inflexible uh, rectus abdominis because of the extra pressure exerted in order to stabilize. So this sort of myth of like, if you've got a six pack, it means you're tight, it means you, it'll affect your singing, is not true. However, I would say there are certain exercises that one might do, that what people tend to do to try and emphasize that six pack. So say someone's pretty fit, they've got their body down to a you know, relatively low you know, body fat percentage you know, for a man, like 12 to 16% is when you start to see abs for a woman, maybe 18 to 20%. And they go, actually, you know what? I'd like them to pop out a bit more. I'd like a bit more abs. So they think, okay, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll grow them a bit. So they do a lot of crunches, sort of lie on the ground and sort of gyrate on the floor. Now, in my opinion, the crunch is a pretty low-grade exercise anyway. You rarely see athletes doing crunches. You know, they, you're sort of just moving your rib cage towards your hips. It's not a particularly athletic or valuable movement. But the other thing is people do it because it's quite an easy movement, you know, to just lie on the floor and do a crunch. People end up getting very good at it, and they do thousands of reps. I remember a, a colleague of mine used to, used to um, 
brag that he got up every morning did a thousand crunches. I think it's because he saw it in um, American Psycho and Christian oh, Bale. Right, yeah. Christian Bale was like <laughs> super jacked in that. So he wanted to do the same. There's a logic to it, but not actually great advice. If you're doing thousands of thousands of this slightly weird movement, bringing the ribs down towards the pelvis, you're very likely, in my opinion, to develop a pattern overload. Mm-hmm. You're, you're sort of essentially training those muscles to become shortened. And particularly because people do these thousands of reps of crunches in absence of training the opposite muscles, the muscles of the back, the erector spinae muscles, the multifidus muscles, these muscles that work the opposite, move the, the spine and the body into extension, which is basically like leaning backwards. Mm-hmm. Often what we do at the gym is we overtrain the muscles at the front of the body, which tend to lead into flexion, you know, curling up into a ball. Mm-hmm absence of the muscles that open the body up into extension for a singer this is not great you don't want to do this because you'll have these short tight abs in my experience personally and working with with performers this can impact your ability to do that splat breath you know you 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 sing a really really long phrase run out of breath and you've only got you know one you know 20 20 percent of a second to to take a breath and sing another really really long phrase you don't want shortened sort of rigid abdominal muscles if this is what you have to do so don't do crunches is the short way of saying that 45 minute explanation i just gave i don't think it's necessary Mm -hmm. to have abs a six-pack as i said it's all about body fat percentage so get your diet in check and do exercise to, to lower your body fat percentage if you want to train the core musculature i would recommend what we call sort of like anti rotation or stabilization exercises um, I'm going to throw out some words now, but things like the Paloff press is pretty good. Basically, if you, which people can just look up on Google, it'll, it'll come up. But basically, often it's sort of isometric holding type exercises can be really valuable because this sort of trains the muscles in the way they're supposed to be used. Mm-hmm. In general, the core muscles actually prevent movement. They don't cause it. Do you know what I mean? We, we, we do a, a squat or we do a lunge or we run. And actually, you know, when you run, the core musculature stops you from overmoving. It prevents movement in, in a way. It sort of, it does both. It, it does cause some movement. It also works against it. So training the core up on the feet is, is probably a good idea because that's how the muscles are supposed to work. Training with anti-rotational style ex- exercises. Um, if people are interested in specific ones, things, if you look at the something like a wood chop, something like a kettlebell halo. These, If you just type these into Google, they will come up. Something like the Paloff press. These are all wonderful functional exercises. But actually, if you have a balanced and well-designed workout program that focuses on, for the strength element, big compound exercises, some type of squatting pattern, some type of hip hinging pattern, like a deadlift or a Romanian deadlift or, or you know something like that, some sort of pressing patterns with the upper body, bench press, push-ups, pressing overhead, some sort of pulling patterns for the upper body, pull-ups, rows, pull-downs on, on the machine. The, these sort of big functional compound exercises, these all train the core muscles extremely well. In fact, um, if you do like a um, muscle activation test on when people are doing pull-ups, the the, the abs light up. I mean, it, it activates the core um more than a lot of core exercises. So functional training of the abs is for most people sufficient to get them healthy, strong, and also, yes, aesthetically visible. Is there any relationship between doing crunches and exacerbating reflux in a singer? It's such a good question. I'll I'll be honest. I don't know. I've looked into it and I can't, I'm yet to see anything particularly compelling in either direction, maybe. Um, But like, I, I guess I sort of stopped looking into it because I don't rec- I wouldn't recommend it anyway. So it's like, yeah. well, I've already said don't do them. So uh, the other element, if we need to to dissuade against crunches, is people do tend to get quite tight in the neck when they, they sort of turn it into a neck flexion exercise or or a sort of neck tension building exercise, which of course, once again, for singers, it's not great. And also it's this is something that I'm really focusing now in my work at the at the spinal clinic, but really important for singers is the ability to breathe. Went through the exercise and a deliberate breathing pattern. This is something that people who do Pilates, people that do yoga become very proficient at. They're inbuilt into the modalities. You know, 
yoga, you know, if you're with a good in yoga instructor, not someone who did, you know, a weekend course in Barcelona once, but, you know, someone who really knows what they're doing, they will direct the breathing pattern with the, that goes along with that particular movement. And it's, it's, it's designed. Um, this is a problem with other exercise modalities, weightlifting being one of them, strength training being one of them. People tend to hold their breath because they think it's going to make them stronger. In my opinion, there are a couple of breathing patterns that can work for singers. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, the best one, explanation, let's say we're doing a bench press where you're lying on your back and you've got a bar and you're sort of pressing it. So the bar's up, your arms are extended. You take a deep breath. As you lower the bar, you lower it slow and controlled with a controlled out breath. Nice and controlled. You know, this will mean you're lifting sub-maximal weights for you, but who cares? You're still going to get stronger. It's going to be healthy. Then at the bottom of the rep, you take another deep breath in, and then you complete the concentric, the lifting phase of the repetition, pressing the bar off your chest again, nice and slow and controlled with a slow exhalation of breath. This will mean it's impossible to develop tons of muscular tension in the neck and traps and so forth while you're completing these repetitions. And to be honest, in my experience, it's even if that particular pattern doesn't work for you, like for, for some people, they like to breathe at the top of the rep, lower the bar, and then push it back up all in one breath. That's fine too. That's fine too. But it's the deliberateness that's really important. It's how do I breathe during the pattern of this exercise is really important. And it needs to be consistent. It needs to be considered. Mm-hmm. Mm. Otherwise, you're just sort of all over the shop and you get high and tense and, and that's no good. Can we talk about HIT and LIS? So HIT being high intensity interval training and LIS being low intensity steady state exercise. What are the differences and is there a more optimal choice there? Great question. Yeah, um, HIT is kind of sexier, you know, sprinting up hills, carrying a sandbag. You know, It's not just- sexy when I do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's marketed as sexier yes yeah, it, it's you know and it's, it can be fun i mean if, if you're a bit of a masochist you know hit you know go 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 like it's sort of crossfitty kind of mm-hmm. and it's it's great the look the benefits of hit is it's more time efficient because you just can't do it for very long mm-hmm. um it, it for some people it can be fun uh you can try all kinds of fun things running up a hill carrying a sandbag whatever it is doing burpees if you're into that kind of thing if you hate life um the, the the obvious detriment is that it is synonymous with form breakdown of mm-hmm. you know, so if you if you if you if you're doing like 100 burpees or whatever as as fast as you can go that's the whole point of hit it's it's about fatiguing the body you know you, 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 it's impossible to fatigue the body and not have the form breakdown it doesn't matter how good you are at an exercise because if you're really good at the exercise you just go harder right because it's hit and then your form breaks down so it does tend to be more synonymous with injury, which obviously everyone should avoid, but particularly singers. You don't want to miss a performance tonight at the Royal Opera House because you were sprinting up a hill this morning. I mean, that's you lose thousands of pounds of income. It's crazy, you know? And also, it does have a neurological recovery cost. It's more taxing on the body. And, you know, performers in my experience, you know, certainly when I was traveling the world, you know, going from here, there, everywhere, I did find there was a sort of total neurological fatigue that I had to consider. I couldn't like get up early and absolutely smash it in the gym and then rehearse all day. And then, you know, do the other work I was doing. And if you're also sort of adding sprinting up hills to that, your chances of getting sort of burned out is increases Um, because it's by its definition, it's going to failure. It's going to your, to your max. So those would be the detriments lists. I mean, I might be sort of just because I'm getting a bit more mellow in my my middle age, but I would say for the majority of people, lists is is probably a better option. Um, the the main detriment of lists is it's, it's just a bit more time consuming. But yeah, it it's the the best way to train the heart, the cardiovascular system, is through low intensity steady state cardio, thirty to sixty minutes at a sort of moderate intensity. People often talk about the torque test. You should be able to hold a conversation while you're, whatever it is, running, being the obvious one, jog. You should be able to hold a conversation, but you shouldn't want to be talking. It should be a bit uncomfortable. If you are so exhausted, so working so hard that you're talking like this and you can't, you know, get more than three words out, you know, that means you're going too hard. That's more hit. Mm -hmm. 
But if you're so chilled out that you could, you know, recite Shakespeare or something or sing a little twinkle, twinkle, little star, you're not working hard enough to get the training effect needed. This intensity of training basically works the heart in the optimum way to increase its its health and 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 functionality it's it's efficiency it's efficient so it expands the heart which is great which you know i hear your heart and lungs are pretty important singing is really important too but you know car- cardiovascular disease being the number one killer of of people in the western world maybe we should consider it in our exercise routine also um yeah it, it's just it's just there's a higher time cost but there's just a lower recovery cost um you know, and and of course, it, it you can adapt it to your location, to your what you like doing, and your fitness level. The modality doesn't matter a huge amount. If you like running, cool. If you like swimming, cool. You know, if you like going in the cross trainer, that's cool. If you like, you know, whatever it is, it, there are various modalities you can utilize. Um, you know, if someone is really what I, you know, I often work with people who come to me in not great shape. You know, they, they, they that's the reason they come to me. Look, they, because they're worried. In fact, I had a new client last night who had had a cardiovascular incident. Your, your list training 30 to 60 minutes could be a gentle walk, a slow, gentle walk. That might be enough for you. If that's getting you into that talk desk, that moderate zone, then as you get fitter, you might walk for a bit further or just walk a bit faster, 30 to 60 minutes, a bit faster. You need a bit more, you're getting fitter, right? You're getting fitter. So to get that same training effect, you need to go a bit more. Then, you know, then you've got various options. Some people then switch the obvious choices to jogging. They might do something like couch to 5K and, and, and things like that. That's wonderful. But, you know, for me, an underutilized exercise and something I love, mainly because I've got a, like you can probably hear him, a kind of, unhappy hot golden retriever sitting in the corner (laughs) is one exercise i love is is they call it rucking which is basically like a weighted walk you know you get a backpack um put you know once again depending how strong you are depending on how fit you are um for me i'm using about 30 kilos a lot but you know i'm I'm pretty big i've been doing it for a while and you just go for a, a walk and it means you get you you might be walking the same pace but you're getting more of a training effect because carrying this heavy load and it really adds up you know you do that for half an hour and you really notice it in your you know the, the muscles of your stabilizers your legs and your back and, um so the re- this is great for lists you know it, it you you can just you there are a multitude of ways to continue improving and continue getting that training effect um without too much detriment other than yeah you need to find that third 30 to 60 minutes um whatever it is, three times a week, four times a week. I work with a lot of dancers personally, and they're used to working with belly tucked in. They might be doing a lot of ballet, um, conditioning work, sculpting their muscles. What can we do as singing teachers to help dancers who may have just come from a dance class and are complaining of maybe feeling a bit tight and a bit constricted in the body? How can we help them to get out of that and be able to be free and flexible for their singing lesson? That's a great question. Um, and I, I have to admit, I, I've got some ideas, but I'm I'm just I'm just hypothesizing here. I've never given a singing lesson to someone who's just come from a dance class. Mm. Uh, so please, you know, the, the umbrella over everything I'm about to say would just take it with a grain of salt because I, I'm not, this is not my expertise. Um, but, you know, some sort of, I wouldn't say like long held stretches is necessarily the right way, but some sort of gentle mobility um, routine post-dance class before going into the singing might be valuable. Probably something that f- focuses a little bit on on upper body um, mobility. The, the thing about dancers is they st- they tend to have the opposite problem to a lot of the general population. You know, most of the general population, they get sort of super kyphosed, uh, you know, slumped shoulders from sitting over a desk and, you know, tight hip flexors and all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's dancers are so amazing. It's just such an extreme, particularly like ballet dancers, it's such an extreme thing to do with the body. They get all these unusual problems, you know, they get super externally rotated into the hips, almost hyperextended into the into the lumbar spine. It's like hyperlordosis. So they, they like almost like sticking their butt out and almost leaning back a little bit, um, which, you know, this is not great. For, for optimal vocal positioning. Uh, they're sort of tight around the upper back, but also hypermobile. It doesn't really make much sense. Um, you know, if you ask them to do standard tests, they can do it. They can sort of push their arms into all the, you know, 
mobility positions that would go oh wow that's really good but it looks weird it, it's like it's not functioning as it should they it's like they almost like force the body into a new there's i'll just share a little anecdote with you to to illustrate how extreme the, the body can become it's, it's something we we're actually talking about in the clinic this week but uh you can all google it i've just forgotten his name but there's a, a gentleman a, a indian sort of holy man um if you google you know indian spiritual man with arm above his head have you seen this i've seen this yes he didn't have any surgery to achieve this he just held his arm up there and now he's had entire muscle wastage of his deltoid and you know upper trap on that side and, and a fusion of his glenohumeral joint a fusion of the shoulder joint um just because his body went oh okay this is the thing i'm adapting to so i will he's literally not just changed his physiology he's changed his anatomy mm. to achieve this so it just goes to show if you keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over, how much you can change your body. Um, and that brings me back to my point of if you are going to start an exercise routine or if you are currently in an exercise routine, are you addressing those three elements, strength, mobility and cardiovascular fitness? Because if you do all three, look, you're not going to that means you're not going to be the best at any of them, of course. But we're not training to be Olympic athletes who also sing. You know, we're training to be singers who are as fit as possible, as strong as possible, as with as much health as possible. If you are addressing all those three elements as unlikely as you can be to fall prey to that sort of hyper-specialization um, that unfortunately dancers end up falling into. I'm a bit of a weirdo in that if I see a bruise or have a bruise, I want to press it. Uh, it's a bit like when I see a very squidgy cake and I just want to put my finger in it. I don't know if it's to do with like issues I have around perfectionism. <laughs> I don't know, but maybe that's something dark I don't want to drag up. <laughs> Are you a masochist? Do you like HIIT training as well? No, I hate HIIT training. Okay. Okay. No, I think it's just the cakes and the bruises. Cakes, okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> but likewise, I quite like the ache that you get after a workout when there might be some, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's called delayed onset muscle soreness or DOMS. Perfect. Yeah, perfect. But what are the potential impacts of DOMS and what's actually going on when we have that? And is it something that we can prevent? Yeah, that's such a oh, that's such a good question and something I've been thinking about a lot. It, what I'm focusing on in my work at the clinic at the moment is the altered motor control patterns that people experience in response to pain and discomfort. And I, I'm kind of thinking about possible PhD topics, but it does seem that when we're in any sort of pain, we experience a change in motor control of the affected area. And because of regional interdependence, which means like, you know, the neck bones connected to the foot bone sort of thing, like everything kind of is connected, you know, particularly systems, particularly body parts that are close together. So a small amount of discomfort in your hip, which causes a change in motor control. So you might start walking a bit different on that side, might be the cause of your left knee problems mm -hmm. down the line because over the course of thousands and thousands millions of steps over several years you will have this sort of imbalance and dysfunction um which, which causes you know some slightly more major injury so my problem with doms is that you might get this persistent sort of altered motor control because you're a bit sore so you know if you're sore around your neck you know your upper pecs shoulders and then you go to sing that day, you might just be singing with a slightly different technique, um, which which may be suboptimal. And you know, if you what if you want to you know sing on Broadway or in the West End or at the Metropolitan Opera, you you you, you got to be the best in the world. You know, like all those people singing up there, they're amazing. You know that, and so you're you you do have to. We do have to be a little bit more concerned with these sort of elite considerations. It's fine, you know, if you're you're the only use of your voice is, you know, you're no, no disrespect to school teachers, amazing. But you know, if you're a school teacher, you're using your voice a lot, but you're not being paid for your voice, you know, that that sort of thing. So that wouldn't matter so much. Um I'm going to, I'm sorry to say this, Alexa, to ruin your beautiful love affair with Doms. As a general rule, it doesn't mean Doms is the devil and you need to avoid it like the plague. But as a general rule, I think if once you're in the swing of things, like if you've never worked out before and you go to the gym and do a workout, you're going to be sore. It's unavoidable. But when you're in the flow of a workout program, if you're experiencing dom the, doms the next day, I, I would say you've probably gone just a little bit too hard, unnecessarily so. 
you may have got an extra 1%, 2%, 4% benefit from the workout. But with the consequence of, you well, know, you saw the next day, well, although you like that, so that's not a problem. But, it, you know, you, that, that potential altered motor control, mm-hmm. particularly in a key area like the, the diaphragmatic kind of area or the neck for a sport, it, it might, I, I'm not trying to fear monger here. I'm just, I'm talking about optimization. It, it may not be the best thing for your performing singing. Yeah. I, I am a huge fan of a, um, there's a guy called Faraz Zahabi. He's a, um, he, he works in Canada and he trains a lot of, he has a wonderful, I think it's called TriStar Gym. He works um, with a lot of mixed martial artists. Um, he, he was famously trained Georges St-Pierre, who was like the greatest one in the early stages of the UFC. And he says, you should never be sore from workouts. And this guy's training people to beat up another person in the cage, you know? So it's pretty hardcore, you know, he's training some pretty hardcore athletes here. And he says something like, he talks about flow state training. So he says, look, you, 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 if you can do, let's say you can do 10 pull-ups, right? Gun to your head, a million dollars on the line, you couldn't do 11. 10 is your max, 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 max. You should never do 10 pull-ups. You should do seven pull-ups, maybe eight, maybe six, but do a few sets. You get the, you get the training effect through the volume, through doing, you know, because if you do five sets of seven, you know, you, you've done a, a significant volume of pull-ups to sort of have trained those muscles. When seven starts to feel too easy, then maybe you do eight or nine. But this probably means that your max has gone up to like 12 or 13. Hmm. He, he says, he always talks about, you know, th- this is another reason. He, he actually is not so into HIIT training either because he's like, you, it, workouts shouldn't be fatigue seeking. They should have a training effect on the body, a specific a training effect, which you then adapt to and come back fitter and stronger. Um, and I like that. Um, e- every workout should only push you one to 2% more than the previous workout. It should be barely detectable. But over the course of 10 years of training, you've accumulated this incredible improvement in your, in your fitness and strength. Um, I know this is not what a lot of people like to hear, um, because it it requires consistency and dedication, which is hard. I get it. We're all super busy. I mean, gosh, I mean, I, I've got a full-time job. I I do, I see private clients. I have a child. I'm about to have another child. I still sing, you know, it's, I, I get it. I, I, I totally understand what it feels like to not have time, but um, the idea of like smashing it for two months to get ready for your beach body for Ibiza. It's just, this, this is, um, this is only useful for people who want to sell you supplements and things to make money off you. Um, it, it, like dedication to art, to to your craft as an as an artist. You know, it, it's a it's sort of it's a sort of lifetime's work. I was just talking with my my new boss actually about you know I'm I'm 39 next month and I've had to contend with the reality that I'm sort of in my sort of optimal physical training. I've kind of I'm over the hill. You know, I've probably bench pressed my heaviest bench press. I probably, you know, squatted my heaviest squat, you know, that sort of thing. But now I'm on a slightly different journey. Now I'm on a, I'm, I I want to develop new skills, hence the mixed martial arts and jujitsu. I, I want to maintain, I want to maintain my mobility for me is really important as a sort of bigger guy. It's, it, that can be a real struggle. Um, but it's a lifetime's work. It's a lifetime's work. It's not a six month goal. And then, okay, what's next? All right. I'll stop. I'll stop seeking doms. I get it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I gave you like a six, six hour essay. You just asked me about doms. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's good to know because, you know, as a voice teacher as well, if you're demonstrating or using your voice quite a lot in lessons, it's good to know that that might not be optimal. So yeah, I'll stop. I'll stop seeking it. I promise. I promise you will be just as fit and strong and use those wonderful long arms. <laughs> yes. For shop, I'll get up, you know, I'll see, you see me next. Olympic level. Greatest shot putter. Um, yeah, it, in my opinion, unnecessary detriment for m- minimal, minimal, minuscule benefit. I wonder if it kind of goes into that no pain, no gain, which I know people like Stephen King despise. We don't have to feel it be sore to know that it's done some good. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I will announce my bias. I, I think Stephen is amazing. He, uh, I like him personally and professionally. He's great. Um, and I, I also completely agree with that advice. Why, why does it have to hurt? Yeah. There are very few examples of 
I can't think of any. I'm sure there's people come up with a, with a few, but where something that hurts is we know it's good for you. I, I can't, I'm, I'm, you know, someone can comment on, oh, what about this? I'm sure there is one or two, but generally the feeling of pain isn't obviously, as we know from new pain, you know, pain science education, it's not necessarily indicative of tissue damage, but it is indicative of a warning, a, f- a warning of potential damage. And, you know, let's, I think we have this useful sort of body signaling system and that's valuable to listen to it. And as a nutritionist yourself as well, is there anything that you advise singers, individuals to consume immediately after a workout? You might be referring to like the sort of post-workout nutrition window. Um, look, it, this was kind of invented by people who sell you post-workout nutrition drinks. It, there's really, you know, so if I, you know, I worked out this morning, I trained um, uh, mixed martial arts and I didn't get to eat breakfast until a few hours after because I, you know, I had to come home and I had to do a few things and I had to drop my daughter at nursery and blah, blah, blah. The difference between me having my breakfast two minutes after finishing my training or two hours is negligible, negligible, maybe zero, perhaps in the absolute extremes. Look, if I had an Olympic athlete, you know, if I was training Usain Bolt, yeah, I'd give him, I'd give him his, his post-workout shake as soon as the training was finished. Cause there's why not, you know, but no, it's not necessary. Go for practicality, go, go for what works for you. Or what, what matters is hitting the right nutrients, hit, getting enough, you know, eating the right amount of food, getting enough nutrients, the right amount of calories, not too many calories. And, and now a bigger focus for me, the quality of food, you know, getting your, your nutrition and your calories from as whole foods, as many whole foods sources as possible, as possible, excuse me, minimizing processed foods, minimizing particularly ultra processed foods as much as is practical. It's not, it's impossible to completely eliminate them in a West, in the Western world, but whole food sources and, and the right amount of food, definitely, definitely infinitely orders of magnitude more important than than nutrient timing. So now that you've started this really exciting new job, you've been there four days now. So what have you seen immediately? What are you looking out for in terms of like the back pain? Is anything maybe related to exercise that you're looking out for or in your research? Yeah. Unfortunately, with back pain, one of the reasons it's so prevalent is because it's, it's very variable. So we really do treat each patient like a unique human being because they, of course they are unique human beings and, and deserve to be treated as such and need to be treated as such. There's very few cookie cutter kind of programs. The, the things for back pain that we know for certain is the back likes movement. Lying in bed all day is bad for the back. There is something about shifting positions sort of related to that sort of point 1B is static positions tend to not be great for the back. So, you know, if you do work sedentary you know uh, one thing i use which i which i think is great is um a table that goes up and down so you can stand for a period you can sit for a period that is actually really good for the spine it's not that sitting is bad it's just that static positions tend to be and you know when we're standing we tend to shift around and move around a bit anyway so we kind of naturally eliminate that when we sit we really sometimes like like if you watch people sitting they sometimes they look like a statue they're really kind of frozen so those are two things that are really important. But actually, for as in terms of general advice I could offer on top of that, um, yeah, the back responds well to a, a balanced exercise program that, you know, the these things of like, you know, things that you immediately hear people with back, everyone loves to give advice. You know, we live in the age of everyone has an opinion and loves to share it on the internet. Um, you know, things you'll hear is if you have, Back pain, it means you've got a weak core. Not true. Not true. Many, many back pain patients um, have an overly rigid core. You know, power lifters often get back pain. These are some of the strongest people on the planet. If a weak core means back pain, why do the strongest people on the planet have back pain? So if you do get back pain, don't start suddenly like gripping your core, you know, to, to tie your shoelaces. This will cause likely more problems. Um, you hear, oh, I have tight hamstrings. That's causing my back pain. Once again, it might be the case, but it might not be the case. Um, hamstr- tight hamstrings can also be, you know, we we talk about this thing of like victims and villains. Um, so, for example, if I have pain running down my left arm, that might be caused by a nerve root irritation in my cervical spine, in my neck. So the victim is the arm 
from suffering the pain, but the villain is the cervical spine. So in, in relating to that to tight hamstrings, tight hamstrings might be the victim, but the villain might be tight, might be rigidity in the ankles. The general things, as much sort of ambulatory movement as is possible. You know, you very few people like take too many steps a day. It's it's mm. it just doesn't really happen. Um Shifting positions, really good. And then a balanced strength program, mobility, strength, cardiovascular fitness. Um, this is this is good for the back. Um, and of course, if you have specific pathology, disc issues, facet joint issues, sprain muscles, come see, not, it doesn't have to be me, but any professional who knows what they're talking about and get on top of it. Because, you know, we see people with 30 years of, of chronic pain um, because they didn't, they didn't get on top of it. And it, it, it doesn't you know, it, it, it can snowball. Mm. And just remind us where we can find you then and where's best to get in contact with you for that? Yeah, so um, I I guess my website is probably the best, duncanrocknutrition.com. I guess I now need to change it to Duncan Rock. It's not very um, good for marketing. Nutrition and physiotherapy.com. <laughs> I'll think of something better. Um, I also, um, so I, I have a contact form uh, which just got, sends me an email. Mm-hmm. Um I, I also sometimes have people approach me directly through Instagram, uh, Dr. Rock Nutrition uh, on Instagram. Uh, I, I'm not so good on social media, so that's not the best way to contact me. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, Google Duncan Rock. There's there's ways to get in touch. Um, and yeah, and I, I love to hear from people. I, I'm uh, uh, getting an increasing amount of people from the industry. You know, I, I also work with the young artists at the San Francisco Opera. Um, uh on a, as a regular basis particularly at the moment because they have their marola summer school program at the moment so i give seminars for them and then i work with the artists through the year um so increasingly working with a you know kind of performing arts uh s- specialized um group of people and it's i love it because you know singers are my people you know I, I i did it for almost 15 years so it's it's a pleasure to sort of stay existing in this realm mm. Yeah, for sure. Well, Duncan Rock, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. And this has been a really interesting conversation. So yeah, thank you for your time once again. It's a real pleasure, Alexa. Nice to chat to you. If you're enjoying the Singing Teachers Talk podcast, and who are we kidding? Of course you are. Share the love by giving us a ahem, five star rating and leaving a comment. Just head to the Singing Teachers Talk main page on the Apple Podcast app and scroll to the bottom to click write a review.